0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of "Beside Still Waters by Robert Sheckley. It's read for us by Julie Davis, and we'll be discussing it afterwards. It runs nine minutes.
1: Besides Still Waters by Robert Sheckley Mark Rogers was a prospector, and he went to the asteroid belt looking for radioactives and rare metals. He searched for years, never finding much, hopping from fragment to fragment. After a time, he settled on a slab of rock half a mile thick. Rogers had been born old, and he didn't age much past a point. His face was white with the pallor of space and his hands shook a little. He called his slab of rock Martha, after no girl he had ever known. He made a little strike, enough to equip Martha with an air pump and a shack, a few tons of dirt and some water tanks, and a robot. Then he settled back and watched the stars. The robot he bought was a standard model all-around worker, with built-in memory and a thirty-word vocabulary. Mark added to that bit by bit, He was something of a tinkerer, and he enjoyed adapting his environment to himself. At first, all the robot could say was, Yes, sir, and No, sir. He could state simple problems. The air pump is laboring, sir. The corn is budding, sir. He could perform a satisfactory salutation. Good morning, sir. Mark changed that. He eliminated the sirs from the robot's vocabulary. Equality was the rule on Mark's hunk of rock. Then he dubbed the robot Charles, after a father he had never known. As the years passed, the air pump began to labor a little as it converted the oxygen in the planetoid's rock into a breathable atmosphere. The air seeped into space, and the pump worked a little harder, supplying more. The crops continued to grow on the tamed black dirt of the planetoid, Looking up, Mark could see the sheer blackness of the river of space, the floating points of the stars. Around him, under him, overhead, masses of rock drifted, and sometimes the starlight glinted from their black sides. Occasionally, Mark caught a glimpse of Mars or Jupiter. Once he thought he saw Earth. Mark began to tape new responses into Charles. He added simple responses to Q-words. When he said, How does it look? Charles would answer. Oh, pretty good, I guess. At first the answers were what Mark had been answering himself in the long dialogue held over the years. But slowly he began to build a new personality into Charles. Mark had always been suspicious and scornful of women. But for some reason he didn't tape the same suspicion into Charles. Charles's outlook was quite different. What do you think of girls? Mark would ask, sitting on a packing case outside the shack after the chores were done. Oh, I don't know. You have to find the right one, the robot would reply dutifully, repeating what had been put on its tape. I never saw a good one yet, Mark would say. Well, that's not fair. Perhaps you didn't look long enough. There's a girl in the world for every man. You're a romantic, Mark would say scornfully. The robot would pause, a built-in pause, and chuckle a carefully constructed chuckle. I dreamed of a girl named Martha once, Charles would say. Maybe, if I would have looked, I would have found her. And then it would be bedtime. Or perhaps Mark would want more conversation. What do you think of girls? He would ask again, and the discussion would follow its same course. Charles grew old. His limbs lost their flexibility, and some of his wiring started to corrode. Mark would spend hours keeping the robot in repair. "'You're getting rusty,' he would cackle. "'You're not so young yourself,' Charles would reply. He had an answer for almost everything. Nothing involved, but an answer. It was always night on Martha, but Mark broke up his time into mornings, afternoons, and evenings. Their life followed a simple routine breakfast from vegetables and Mark's canned store. Then the robot would work in the fields, and the plants grew used to his touch. Mark would repair the pump, check the water supply, and straighten up the immaculate shack. Lunch and the robot's chores were usually finished. The two would sit on the packing case and watch the stars. They would talk until supper, and sometimes late into the endless night." In time, Mark built more complicated conversations into Charles. He couldn't give the robot free choice, of course, but he managed a pretty close approximation of it. Slowly, Charles' personality emerged. But it was strikingly different from Mark's. Where Mark was querulous, Charles was calm. Mark was sardonic. Charles was naive. Mark was a cynic. Charles was an idealist. Mark was often sad. Charles was forever content. And in time, Mark forgot he had built the answers into Charles. He accepted the robot as a friend of about his own age, a friend of long years standing. "'The thing I don't understand,' Mark would say, "'is why a man like you wants to live here. I mean, it's all right for me. No one cares about me, and I never gave much of a damn about anyone. But why you?' Here I have a whole world, Charles would reply, where on earth I had to share with billions. I have the stars bigger and brighter than on earth. I have all space around me, close, like still waters. And I have you, Mark. Now don't go getting sentimental on me. I'm not. Friendship counts. Love was lost long ago, Mark. The love of a girl named Martha, whom neither of us ever met. And that's a pity but friendship remains, and the eternal night. You're a bloody poet, Mark would say half-admiringly. A poor poet. Time passed unnoticed by the stars, and the air pump hissed and clanked and leaked. Mark was fixing it constantly, but the air of Martha became increasingly rare. Although Charles labored in the fields, the crops, deprived of sufficient air, died. Mark was tired now and barely able to crawl around, even without the grip of gravity. He stayed in his bunk most of the time. Charles fed him as best he could, moving on rusty, creaking limbs. "'What do you think of girls? I never saw a good one yet.' "'Well, that's not fair.' Mark was too tired to see the end coming, and Charles wasn't interested. But the end was on its way. The air-pump threatened to give out momentarily. There hadn't been any food for days. But why you? Gasping in the escaping air, strangling. Here I have a whole world. Don't get sentimental. And the love of a girl named Martha. From his bunk, Mark saw the stars for the last time. Big, bigger than ever, endlessly floating. "'in the still waters of space. "'The stars,' Mark said. "'Yes?' "'The sun?' "'Shall shine as now. "'A bloody poet.' "'A poor poet.' "'And girls?' "'I dreamed of a girl named Martha once. "'Maybe if—' "'What do you think of girls?' "'And stars. "'And earth.' And it was bedtime, this time forever. Charles stood beside the body of his friend. He felt for a pulse once and allowed the withered hand to fall. He walked to a corner of the shack and turned off the tired air pump. The tape that Mark had prepared had a few cracked inches left to run. I hope he finds his Martha, the robot croaked. And then the tape broke. His rusted limbs would not bend, and he stood frozen, staring back at the naked stars. Then he bowed his head. The Lord is my shepherd, Charles said. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse.
1: Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Hi, I'm
2: Rose.
0: It's Rose Davis, right? Yes. I thought so. Um, you're Julie's daughter, and we actually had you on another podcast very recently, but we got this nine-minute story and gave it to you, yes. and you had like 20 minutes to read it. What did you think of it? This is the first time you read it.
2: Um, It's one of those stories that like, it just seems so so sad i mean it's like that episode of futurama where there's the dog from the past oh, yes i couldn't watch that one more than once yeah that's waiting for fry but he goes mm. into the future so he never comes back it's that kind of like heart-rending like why would you do this to something so innocent
0: mm. that's um that's also in the odyssey right the um our hero, oh,
1: yes.
0: Odysseus, goes away from his home of Ithaca for 20 years, and when he comes back, he he sneaks into his own land under a disguise, and uh, on his way into the city, he sees a dog sitting on a pile of dung, and it's just barely alive, and it's covered in flies, and it's pathetic, but it sees and recognizes his master, the only person to do so in the, in the city, and dies.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wags its tail and yeah. then dies.
1: Yeah. Well, and the worst part in Futurama is it takes it just a little bit further to where I think Fry finds some DNA that he could reconstitute the dog from. And he says, no, he probably lived a happy life. I'm not going to do that. And then they go back and show you the dog the sitting life, by yeah. the telephone pole through the cold, through the heat, through everything until it just dies there. And you're just like, it's just a visualization of what you just talked about. It's terrible. Yeah.
0: I I think I called it, uh, when I first posted it, A Cup of Sadness. (laughs) It's not a uh, story in which you come away going, Oh, I feel great. It's more like, Oh, my God. Wow, that's depressing. But beautiful. This story? Yeah. Yes. Beautiful and depressing.
1: I read it, and actually, I was like, Oh, okay, well, you know, at least he had a friend during all that time alone. And then when I read it aloud for you... Uh-huh. I found myself having to stop reading because I was crying. You know, uh-huh. my voice would start to waver and I'd have to blow my nose. And so, kudos to Robert Sheckley because uh-huh. I did not previously have the impression that he was capable of this packed in sensitivity into this tiny little story. I thought of him more of as a cynic. I mentioned to you, Jesse, previously uh-huh. that one story we read.
0: Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, uh, look, status that, civilization,
1: right? That was more cynical.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 more it's much more harsh and and more of a satire, more of a of a uh, life is a joke. Whereas this is not life as a joke. Life is um, precious and sad and gone, and it, it doesn't feel like it could have been written by a, it, it. It's more like a Ray Bradbury story than. Mm than a lot of other things, right?
1: Yeah, although it's funny because when you go back and read it again, which, Rose, you haven't had a chance to do, of course, so it hasn't gotten to sink in, but the ending of the story makes you realize it's actually, it's really not life is sad and gone. It's There's a depth to it and a hopefulness, there, I thought.
0: Yeah, there's, some, there's so definitely some things we can do some with the interpretation. Uh, we haven't mentioned the title it's besides still waters um it was first published in amazing stories october november nineteen fifty three issue which um a lot of the time i I'm, I use these stories at school uh the the time period in which it it's uh published makes a big difference to understanding what's going on in the story like uh, a lot of its cold war um you know nuclear bombs and uh worries about that or racism or that sort of thing. Right. And I think this is a little more timeless than that. But <laughs> mm-hmm. it does require a good knowledge of I think uh of Genesis or and the Psalms. But specifically the Psalms, Psalm twenty three, right? Right. And uh I also think Genesis, um, the very beginning of it is yes. in here.
1: Well and now let me ask you this question you've read much more Sheckley than I have and is his work like Philip K Dix which was the previous podcast where Rose joined us that um, you know he's intending for you to read a name and it ha- to have a specific association does Sheckley do that because I saw some things here but I couldn't yeah. tell if I was reading into it or not
0: well if you know Eric Rabkin, who we have on the podcast every once right. in a while, he he has sort of an interesting take on it. He says, you know, whether they intended to put it in there or not, if we can take it out of it, it's in there. And he gave a story in which, you know, he he told an author, "Oh, I loved what you did in this story." And he says, "I didn't do that." And he says, "But you did this, and you did this, and you did this," and then the author realizes, "Hey, I guess I did do that, right?" This, yeah. This, intention doesn't really matter if we can extract the information or the because there's something special about non-fiction uh, fiction stories versus non-fiction stories is there is no truth about what's really happening in the story except for the words
1: mm-hmm. right mm-hmm.
0: there there is no planetoid called martha <laughs> there is no robot named charles i
1: think there is I, I
0: <laughs> well, Julie, well, I think you want there to be well, and
1: that's a good point. Um, and I've you know what I've heard that before, and completely agree with it because that's the same thing with movies where all these elements come together, and the truth or the point that the artists are making is one that's always subject to interpretation because once yeah. your work of art is out there, whether it's music or art or a story or whatever the people use it for what it is, means to them. And I guess what I was saying more, and I should have been more aware, aware of this is, you know, you can also project what you mean onto the story so much that Absolutely. You, you aren't even reading what's there. Well, so, uh, I guess that's, I, I guess that, um, is what we do here is keep each other exactly. from doing that.
0: And so what I, what
1: I always
0: think of is the final arbiter. And this is what I teach my students when writing about stories I like to have them write about interesting things, so I try and make them interested in something. And then I show them how to be interested in it mm-hmm. and just be curious about things and attack attack a, a a story like it's a detect. You're a detective, and your job is to try and solve it, right? Mm-hmm. Solve the crimes. Tell tell us what's really happening. So, um, what I what I would say is if it's in this, if you can find evidence for it by showing me a quote to prove the point that you're making then it's in there, right? So if you say, this is really a story about a man loving his fish or whatever, I would say, Julie, that's a very strange hypothesis. Where is there any fish metaphor in here? And you say, well, look at the still waters, Jesse. And I say, okay, there's waters, I suppose. Where's the fish? You say, well, Jesus is a fish, and, and therefore this robot symbolizes... <laughs> like, I, if, if you convince me by showing me something that's there... Rather than you've made <laughs> right. a reading error, you thought his name was really Chuck and it's actually Charles, right? Right. Well, Chuck means Charles or whatever. Like, if if you can find something that's actually in there, then it's in there. Yeah. Whether you see it and the author doesn't see it, it doesn't really matter because you took it away from it. Right. And by looking at it again and again, you can appreciate that thing that's in there, then it's in there. So. Okay. Let's let's talk about which, which name in particular in this story Martha. Was the one. That, okay, right. So, what's Martha mean?
1: Well, you know, this is something I didn't pay attention to the first time through, but after I got to the end of the story, where the author is de- definitely bringing in the twenty-third Psalm, not just mm-hmm. through the title, but through Charles quoting it and over and over. Well, and also. Yeah, he starts and he starts quoting it and it says his rusted limbs would not bend. He stood frozen looking back at the naked stars. Then he bowed his head and it made the point. I forgot his tape had already broken. He shouldn't have been able to say anything. And he says, yes, that's the wonderful part. The Lord is my shepherd. Charles said, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me. And I suddenly reread the story and noticed all kinds of things that, as you say, point to Genesis and stuff. And one of my favorite New Testament stories is Martha's story, who's known from Mary and Martha. It's a, Well, it's not even a parable. It's an experience Jesus has, or that they have of Jesus, where he's good friends with their family, it's Lazarus, mm-hmm. Ma- Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And he goes to visit them. And Mary's sitting there listening to him talk and Martha's bustling around getting everything ready. And at one point she stops and says, Lord, don't you think Mary should help me? And he says, you know, you're busy and worried about many things, but Mary has chosen the better part. And that's much discussed in Scripture in terms of or in commentary on Scripture in terms of are we saying it's better to sit and pray than to work? Are we saying that you should have both in your life? I mean, people look at it all kinds of ways, but... Martha is my patron saint, so when I've read other stories about Martha, I've realized if you look at them through the different Gospels, they kind of form a story of someone who goes from that way of saying, yo, I need some help, and not listening and serving, in Mm -hmm. a sense. As she goes through, and I won't worry you with that, I did write something on it if you want the link, but basically the last time you see her, she, it, all it says is there was a big dinner, it's right before, in fact, Palm Sunday, it's right before mm-hmm. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Mary is anointing Jesus' feet with an expensive ointment, and all it says about Martha is Martha served, or Martha was serving. She's not calling attention to anything, she's doing what needs to be done, that's her part, is to help with that. She's She gets it, she understands where everything fits in, and so, for me, that's a good example, but I look at this in terms of this slab of rock, Martha, after mm, no that's girl. The
0: key word, right, the slab.
1: Right, and after no girl he had not ever known, and it keeps coming back mm-hmm. to the girl named Martha that he never met. And Martha gives and gives and gives and gives until there's nothing left to give in terms of food and air and all that sort of thing. That's right. And it's exhausted. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so I could one see of the, a parallel there. Uh, one of the things I, I made up in my classroom is uh, like a, a little mnemonic thing that you can use when you, uh, what a lot of what I do is I teach essay writing and that sort of thing. So I say, here's what you know, you're presented with something, a, a piece of fiction or a poem you You don't want to just give your opinion because really we don't care about your opinion, whether it was good or bad, because we don't know who you are when we're reading your essay. What we care about is what argument you're making, what what you're trying to say that you're taking away from something. Mm -hmm. And I say you look at character, language, allusion, imagery and message. And maybe a story will have all of those things. Maybe it'll have one of those things or two of those things. Usually it has multiples and sometimes language and imagery are the same thing. Um, and allusion is just, a you know, allusion, A-L-L, right? It's a reference to something else, is something being referred to. Um, when we talk about character, are we talking about how many characters are? That's the first thing, right? How many characters are there in a story? Um, does that matter? Does it matter that the, the character doesn't have any children? Does it matter that he or she has three siblings at the beginning of the story and only has two at the end? Um, Is that an error? Is that uh, intentional? Is that something we're supposed to pick up on? That sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Just keeping track of the numbers. Um, But the other thing about a character is just look at the character's name. Because if the character has a name, it was not put there because that's his or her name, what his parents named her. It's what the author named that character. Right. I mean, unless it's a historical figure, and these are not historical figures... (laughs) Martha was the name of this planet for a purpose, right? He chose that name and he might've just picked it out of his hat or he might have, you know, thought deeply about it, looking for a name to put there, but it certainly plays a big role. So I, one of the things I ask my students is how many characters in this story? And the obvious answer is two, right? Charles and Mark. Right. Mark Rogers. Um, And then I say, well, are you sure there isn't a third? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. So if there's a third character, who is
1: it? Yeah, it's Martha.
0: Could be Martha, right? Because she kind of plays a role. She doesn't say anything, but she certainly has an effect upon the other two characters. And then I'll also say, "Are you sure there isn't a fourth? And then <laughs> looking really hard at me, and and I say, "That air pump. Remember how tired it is, <laughs> right?" <laughs> uh, um, I mean, if you start thinking. Charles is just a, a machine, you have to say, well, at the end, he's not a machine anymore. He breaks his programming. Right. He's he's a He, he can operate without being programmed. Um, has he got a soul now? Is that what's happened? Um, if he's a machine throughout most of the story and becomes a person and a, a character, he's certainly a talking character at the end, then what about that poor little tired <laughs> air pump that always has to be fixed. And right? I mean, it, it, it comes up a couple of times in the story yeah. that it's described as being, you know, working hardworking or something like that.
1: Well, and then there's also that girl they talk about who's the same name as the planet or, you know, the, the meteorite mm-hmm. that she's a character too, because she's the one they never met. That is the object of his dreams.
0: Yeah. Um, and at the end, um, it is very much a. We're losing Rose, I think. No,
2: <laughs> I'm still here.
0: Well, we we read through this a couple of times. You're you're like, what? Where's all this stuff? Right. Let's let's do some quoting. I think that'll help. Um, like, so. Yeah.
1: Oh, I was gonna say when you pointed out slab of rock, Martha, and I was while you were talking, I was going through going, oh, how many times is this little world described? And I was thinking, okay, because then next it's Mark's hunk of rock. Mm -hmm. But later on, it's not using those descriptors. It's just saying it was always night on Martha, Mm -hmm. and it it stops. And that's when Martha turns into an actual character in terms of Martha's got a name. The heir of Martha became increasingly rare.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, and it's kind of Martha and that girl that got away are kind of melded, in a sense.
0: Well, for the robot, it's interesting. I want to read the the last page. There's part of, it starts um, uh, where it says, Mark was too tired. So it's about halfway down the first column. Mark was too tired to see the end coming, and Charles wasn't interested. Why wasn't Charles interested, right? (laughs) that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But the end was on its way. The air pump threatened to give out momentarily. I always say, you know, if you look at a Philip K. Dick story, all the... All the animals are alive. Half the machines are, uh, if not more, are alive, groaning and uh, Mm -hmm. whining and whinging. And the birds are talking to each other. They're chattering, right? Um, Well, the air pump is (laughs) threatening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) There hadn't been any food for days. But why you gasping in the escaping air, strangling? Here, I have a whole world. So they're having this repeated conversation.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It comes up again and again. That's... What I tell students, look, it's language. He's repeating it for a reason. Why is he repeating it? Let's try mm-hmm. and answer. Here I have a world, whole world. Don't get sentimental. And the love of a girl named Martha.
1: She's right? now real.
0: But she, this is, this, and the love of a girl named Martha is, is Charles talking. Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he loves Martha. And yet Martha is killing his creator. Um, And from his bunk, Mark saw the stars the last time, bigger and brighter than ever, endlessly floating in the still waters of space. That still waters comes up again and again. This this Mark said, yes, the sun, question mark, yes, shall shine is now. That's quoting from a poem, right? It's got to be.
1: Yeah, I didn't even notice that.
0: A bloody poet, (laughs) a poor poet, and girls, question mark. I dreamed of a girl named Martha once. Maybe if, dot, dot, dot. Who's talking? It's a little bit hard to follow. Yeah. Charles, is it? I had to
1: go back and re-record it once, in fact, because I couldn't keep track of who was saying what. And then I went, oh, wait, this has to be this person because this is what they say.
0: Yeah. But because he doesn't attribute it so often, it's just at the beginning, you sort of lose track. And I think it's deliberate that they are the same person in a certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. Recorded all of those recordings into Charles's vocabulary. What do you think of Girls in the Stars and Earth? And it was bedtime, this time forever. (laughs) That's the joke of the story, right? Yeah. Charles stood beside the body.
2: Yeah. And you talk about um, there being, you know, three or four characters or however many. But I think you could also argue that there's only one.
1: Yes. That Mark (laughs)
2: is the only character and Charles and Martha are just parts of Mark. That he's Hmm. chosen different ways. To show those sides of his characters. He programmed Mark to be the opposite of him. He named the planet Martha. He chose to settle on Martha. And he <laughs> was always scared of girls. Yeah. Closest he's ever gonna get.
0: So I've got I've got a really That's interesting interpretation point. here as to what's going on and why it goes back to Genesis, right? Okay. Is Charles is is Adam. He's man's created in the image of man, right? Charles Mm -hmm. is a robot. He's a robot. If you look at the picture in the story, he looks, you know, humanoid. Mm
1: -hmm. He's a
0: man created in the image of man. And unlike his creator, who isn't interested in girls, (laughs) (laughs) we have um, a man who is been programmed to be interested in girls. And yet he doesn't have a Eve unless he does. In which case, who is his Eve? It's the earth. Right. Which in right. this case, Martha. And I mean, the, the, the symbolism there is great, I think. Um, if, well,
1: especially if, since he names the robot Charles after a father he had never known. And then in that case, the fact that Mark, I mean, sorry, Charles is doing most of the farming whenever you see that mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's he working if, the earth. It's it,
0: it, it, if it's a relationship like a husband and wife relationship, uh, Mark is inside cleaning up the quote-unquote immaculate shack, right? Mm. And they don't spend much time of the day working, right? They they eat in the morning, they work until the afternoon, then they spend the rest of the night talking. Yeah. Their whole existence is very relaxed and, and sort of... But they only talk about the same things over and over again, so it's very... Well, that's
1: funny, because I saw the relationship going the other way, actually. Oh, let's hear. Well, because... Um, Especially considering the ending, and then when I went back and reread it, but it was, okay, so Charles is named after the father he never knew, and Uh I'm thinking, okay, God's hard to find, Uh Um, and maybe he didn't ever know him, and then it talks in the middle about Mark building in these complicated conversations, and it says slowly Charles's personality emerges, but it was strikingly Uh different from Mark's, where Mark was querulous, Charles was calm, Mark was sardonic, Charles was naive, Mark was a cynic, Charles was an idealist, Mark was often Mm -hmm. sad, Charles was forever content, which to me went along with Charles wasn't interested in the fact that Mark was dying, because Charles knows, it doesn't matter. It's okay. You know, that's just a different frame of existence based on the end of the story. So I just looked at it and thought, These are either the aspects of Charles's, or I mean, sorry, Mark's character that he never could express, which is, I guess, what you were saying, Rose. But Mm -hmm. also I looked at it and thought these are ways, you know, Mark put all these things into Charles, but what Charles is giving him back is a synthesis of something different, something Mm -hmm. that when they have their conversations, it can help change Mark. You know, um, So in a sense, I kind of looked at that as, oh, well, then that actually could be, I don't know, you don't want to say a higher power, but, you know, something like that, working on Mark to give him a chance to change and become better than he was before. Interesting. And you can argue
2: that um, Mark made Charles in the image of what his ideal would be and any yeah, ideal he wanted, in any situation and it, would be a reflection of a higher power.
1: Yeah, he
0: wanted those, good those... things. point. Those He didn't want to be as cynical, right? So right. he the robot to be less cynical than he is. Um, he the, didn't want the, to be
1: afraid of girls.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting that they both age, though, right? So yeah. in, the, in the beginning of the story, it's very interesting the way Rogers is described. It says, Rogers had been born old, and he didn't age much, much past a point. Mm-hmm. So he is our God. <laughs> he's so you know, he's born old. Doesn't really make any sense. It's sort of a contradiction. But also, and then it continues. His face was white with the pallor of space. Mhm. And what is the color of space? It's not. It's there's, not white.
1: There's no color.
0: Yeah. Right. A pall is a white color, right? A right. White sheet, but. It's it's yeah it's sort of an absence and it, just the comparison of him with with the cosmos, is
1: mm-hmm. kind of,
0: um, And he lit, he names the slab of rock, Martha, after no girl he had ever known. And it's like, well, that's a weird thing to name. Why is it say <laughs> that? Right. <laughs> so right. Questioning it, um, but it's important because you know is that the girl he want to it, wanted to have known, um well he makes her in naming the planet or the asteroid whatever it is they're they're living on right mhm and then he creates a man on this planet i mean he buys him and brings him there but he creates him in and what's interesting is the the relationship is he forgets eventually that he has made charles yeah. right and he deprograms the the slave circuit right which is uh, saying, sir, yes, sir, no, sir. Mm-hmm. We saw that in the other Philip K. Dick story, remember, when uh, in the novel, uh, Willis says, um, <laughs> yeah. he starts, he, I've been reading Earth history. And right? mm-hmm. he said, yes, Massa, yeah. no, Massa, right? Uh, when when our character uh, asks him to, say, he says, stop, stop talking that way. And he has to command him to do that, right? Yeah. Well, that actually... Is really important in this story because again, look at character. What does Charles mean? When I looked this up, I I just said I I have I to. Talk. I was wondering. I love this. This is so awesome. So Charles is uh, a a word that comes from Carl C A R L right, which is also uh, a word that we uh, we know as a person's name, and that is the opposite of a slave. It's a free man. Oh really. Yeah, and so what is the robot's name? His robot, the robot. free man. Yeah. And at the end, he breaks his programming. He doesn't have to be programmed anymore, and yet he's also, you know, like, breaking down, he's rusting. Um, it's the end for him in a certain way. He has no mm-hmm. you no know, he's not going to make his own children on this world, is he? He's, he's sort of rusting away, and that final ending where it goes dot, 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 does that mean he continues on and we don't hear it? Or does it mean that he's, he's frozen? He can't speak because even he has now died.
1: Well, what it made me do is go find the Psalm Mm -hmm. because all I could remember. And it actually is what comes after that was he restoreth my soul. And that's when I actually really just broke down. Um, Have you got that handy? I do. Would you like me to read it? the King James Version, which is what this is from, I think. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the lord forever
0: it's It's a poem, right It's a biblical poem,
1: yeah, it's a psalm that would have been uh probably more of a song. it would have been sung yeah as and a, I, you know
0: it's still used as a song in some cases right but yeah. Really- at funerals is the modern uh, modern usage of it mm-hmm. like, you know people quote it when they're giving eulogies and, and they're also no not eulogies at yeah, the graveside right
1: yeah um, because of the valley of the shadow of death part which right. I was then looking it up because I have Robert Alter's translation and Robert Alter is
0: I'd like to hear that Yeah, yeah I, he, I, I did hear it before when you when you read Genesis on your podcast which i I think is probably one of your best um, series of you do whole books right that that yeah. was a big long series and it was a great <laughs> it was except for the part where we get the endless names of <laughs>
1: <yeah>. yes <laughs> those were the cool. things where they put them in there for a reason by gum I'm gonna read them but wow it just about killed me and everybody else um yeah. it was tortuous in some ways but and the thing with Robert Alter, if for people who don't know is he is a Hebrew expert and a teacher, but he is not necessarily religious. So when he gives the commentary for the things he translates, the thing that's fascinating is he makes sure he gives all the context, like a good translation will. And that includes how would the Jewish people of the time have seen it? How do people look at it now? Mm -hmm. And, um, a couple of the things. Did you want me to read his translation?
0: I'd love. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what okay. you've got there, and also his notes on it.
1: Oh well, all right then. Um, the Lord. Well, the, and I will say the notes are rather copious, but. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we pick out a select few. Yes,
1: I, I did mark a couple, but anyway, here's the translation. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. In grass meadows, he makes me lie down. By quiet waters, guides me. My life he brings back. He leads me on pathways of justice for his name's sake. Though I walk in the veil of death's shadow, I fear no harm, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, it is they that console me. You set out a table before me in the face of my foes. You moisten my head with oil, my cup overflows. Let but goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for many long days.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what I like most about that, that is it really highlights the, the the change in perspective that's halfway through, right?
1: Yes. The Lord
0: does this, and then suddenly not the Lord, you. Yeah. Right? right. That change in perspective is, is like... I'm starting the prayer, here I come, here's, now I'm into yeah. it. <laughs>
1: it's, um, he does this, and then it's, yay, though I walk through. And th- yeah. this one does it much more, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's much more obvious because of the, the language being more modern, we can understand it more. But thou is a is not a word we use much anymore. Well, um, and it I was, means, go ahead, sorry. It means you, right?
1: It does, but I was going to make the point that it means you, but it's, Back then in English, we had that same distinction that European languages still maintain or the romantic ones do of the familiar you versus the Mm -hmm. formal you. And thou, thy, thee are the familiar. You would say those to someone who's your family, a close friend. Mm -hmm. So the thing I love about the King James Bible, although it was going out of use then, they maintained it especially when people were talking to God to kind of emphasize this is how close you should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that, and something I thought was really interesting in the Robert Alter translation. For one thing, he says, "My life he brings back,"
0: mm-hmm. and yeah, it's not the soul, right? Restoreth my soul,
1: right? And
0: versus he, my life he brings back is quite a difference for us.
1: Yeah, he says, though he restoreth my soul is time honored. The Hebrew nefesh which I probably mispronounced, does not mean soul, but life, breath, or life. The image is of someone who has almost stopped breathing and is revived, brought back to life.
0: Well, I think the problem with, with soul, that we see it as, as a modern society, is we forget that where that word comes from, and we sort of forget that soul just means, I mean, that's, what it, what's a synonym for soul? It's spirit. Mm-hmm. And what is spirit? It's breath right so it's not like we are suddenly uh we've changed what it is a, a a ghost um a lot of the words for ghost mean uh breath or i mean literally spirits are you know what comes out of alcohol right the <laughs> evaporation yeah. of, out of alcohol it's called spirits for a reason and that ties into the breath of life and so it's we we sort of think you know um there's a massive difference between a soul and a and a spirit and a ghost, and really they're they're sort of an evolution of the same Greek concept. idea, pre-Christian uh, Greek idea of what of uh, a human soul is.
1: Well, it goes a
0: living thing
1: back to God breathing life into right. Adam. When you look at that, He breathes on him. The second, uh, there are two uh, creation stories of man, and I think it's the second one where he Mm -hmm. breathes on him, and he has life. And in fact, that's carried on in the New Testament. One of the four Gospels, and it's John, which is real different from the other three, that one, the whole Pentecost experience has all happened crammed together in the upper room when Jesus shows up and goes, I'm alive, everyone. And what Mm -hmm. he does is he breathes on them. Mm -hmm. And that is Pentecost right there, because his life life is now the church's life. Yeah. Yeah, it's kinda
2: funny. It's kinda of funny that you guys are talking about breath. I mean, Charles is a robot that will never breathe. He doesn't actually need any sort of air at all. And in that's fact, easy. the presence of air, which would only be because Mark needs it, Rock. is what causes him to rest.
0: That's right. It's, it's, it's beautiful.
2: <laughs> that is interesting. That and the water he would have used for the plants, he doesn't need either of those. And without those, he could be young forever.
1: Right? He doesn't need the
0: plants. He he and either the uh, the air pump will shack up, or or he and Martha (laughs) can you know if he stops resting and he if if you believe at the end he's frozen that he's no no longer active, then it's a sad story. And if it's if it's he is now free of his creator. Now, if you see that as God being dead, I don't think this is a parable exactly, you know, about reality. I, what I would say is, look, Mark doesn't know the future. He's not God. Right. He did his best with this with this poor robot, um, and he made a friend of him, and notice he's not trying to lord it over him, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying, we're equals, we're friends. Um, and when he creates this machine it may live on on this planetoid. He seems to have the love of Martha, whether that is action on the planet or just sitting there contemplating the universe as he was so wont to do before. Um, it sort of leaves it as a happy ending if you look at it that
2: way. Well, I think it led worse okay. if it's worse if
1: he's by himself, if he's alone. Well, he has the love of a girl named Martha, right?
2: <laughs> I'm just kind of tapped out at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thinking. air pump's gone. Mark is gone. Martha yeah. is still a planet. She's not going to be able to yield crops anymore.
0: But he doesn't need crops, right?
2: No, but he's been used to having Mark's company. I don't know. It just seems worse if he's by himself because then it's like a wally situation and then yeah. he feels bad yeah. inside.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. He's got the air pump.
2: Oh, see, it's funny because
1: you guys are looking at it that way, and I never thought of it that way. I thought of it, when I first finished this, I stopped because my mind was boggling because I looked at Charles and said, okay, Charles clearly is not bound by being a robot because he's rusted, his tape has broken, all these things. And so when he was able to move and speak and that's what he said, I went, oh, was he sent by God to be with Mark, to lead huh. Mark to a higher understanding so that Mark wasn't alone and Mark had a chance to be a real, more fulfilled human being? Or yeah, or was he like an angel or something? I mean, I obviously was going way beyond the scope of the story, but I never looked at Charles as just an actual robot once I read that. To me, that meant Charles was a higher being of some hmm. sort that transcended that.
0: Well, I would say, I would say that if we look at, at Mark Rogers uh, and that name also, once you start down the name path, yeah, well, yes, but even Rogers, it's, it's once you start down the name path, and you say, what's the meaning of this? You can actually end up doing all sorts of uh, backflips to show, you know, why your theory is right. And I, I could get into it if you want to. But
1: <laughs> no, no, that's OK. That's just because just Rogers
0: has me. meaning, too. Right. And and uh, Mark Mark is at least the biblical part, which does tie into Martha, I think. Right. Um, the Gospels. That's right. The Gospel of Mark, uh, I think, even has some mention of of the Martha.
1: They story. all have some little piece of it.
0: hmm. So there's there's stuff there but I think you know if if you look at Mark Rogers as a human being fulfilled I don't think he fits all of our criteria he he does create a robot he creates a friend he's kind to that friend they they spend many nights together uh staring up at the stars and talking about girls <laughs> but that uh I don't I I don't see him as fulfilling the the perfect ideal of, of a life. It seems kind of like a,
1: no, but if this is the only place he was, I'm sorry. No, um, if this, here's my thinking and, and you know, this is just me looking at it going, whoa, Charles is much more. That was my initial reaction was he was not just a robot. Now, whether that's true or not, um, the thing is, is that he became a better person, Through that, he wasn't going to live anywhere else. It doesn't matter. He wasn't going to leave Martha. He had his claim. He was living there. This was his only chance to be more. And the fact that Charles showed him a different person, even from him putting in what were the expectations, Charles was able to kind of synthesize these and have his own personality, as it says. Mm -hmm. That allowed Mark to have the experience of someone better. Was he the perfect person? How many of us are? Mm -hmm. None, I would say. It doesn't matter how much you have access to. You know, you have a few people like Mother Teresa who are or who, whatever saint or, you know, wonderful person. It doesn't have to be somebody like that, that she just brings to mind as a selfless individual. But um, somebody who even they are going to lose their temper or do something that other people criticize or that kind of thing. Um, But something that I read, and this is just from, uh, the commentary um, just this is from my Catholic study Bible on the 23rd Psalm it says the imagery of this Psalm both of the shepherd of the flock and the host's mm-hmm. generosity to a guest are drawn from traditions of the Exodus and I was like, well Mark is exiled, he is exiled himself by the fact that mm-hmm. I've made my strike I'm going to live here um, so I kind of thought that was interesting too in that then where do you get anything from?
2: Mm. For me, him, Charles saying that prayer at the end was more an indication, kind of the idea that this, um, this psalm, this idea of a higher power, this way of thinking exists outside of um, the pages of the book. You know, it's he doesn't have a Bible. I would mm-hmm.
0: be, no, there's no be mention. Highly
2: of- skeptical of Mark having a Bible. <laughs> um, but Mark st- he, he still this <laughs> that, yeah. that's why my
1: mind was so blown.
2: But like it's more come- just the idea that it exists outside of the pages of the book. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. He know he knows it, right? He knows it because he's exp- he's. He's experienced it. I, I think this is it's it, it's an interesting psalm because it has the two metaphors going on in it, and they're so explicit, mm-hmm. and yet we kind of forget uh, what what's going on. So the Lord is my shepherd, right? God is a shepherd. That means we are sheep, and it's not that we're sheep in a bad sense. It's just that He is protecting us, like right. He is we need some help. Shepherd. Right. There's lots of dangers in the world. Right. Right. Protect. And what does he do? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures or he shows me where the green pastures are and says, hey, have a seat. Well, green pastures for sheep is what they want. Right. Right. Um, he leadeth me beside the still waters. Still waters are calming and they're good for drinking out of. Right? Yeah. These are yeah. good things. They're nice, calming images. He restores my soul. He leadeth me to the paths of righteousness for his namesake. This is a little less a metaphor, but uh, still, like it's, it's what we extract from the first two things. He's, he's being a leader kind and putting us in a place of peace.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, yea, though even though I am approaching the valley of the shadow of death, even though death is here or all around us and we are in the shadow of it as we all are, I will fear no evil, for Thou, God, You are with me. Right, Thy rod and Thy staff they comfort me. Well, God doesn't have a rod and staff, but certainly a shepherd does. Right. Yeah, and, and they're,
1: the, they keep you safe. Rod
0: is is for for correction. Right. Mm. <laughs> you did. You're going the wrong place. Sheep, back over here. Mm-hmm. That's the old Old Testament God being, uh, you know, mighty and wrathful. No,
1: and no, this, no, no, no. No, it, I that's, mean, the, that's goes along with the guiding me on the right path. That's that, the, there's a not cliff. Not, Watch it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, don't, it's called a correction. So, you know. Yeah, but that's dog, not wrathful. No, no, that, that was the wrong word. Um, when you've got a dog that, you know, is misbehaving, you can't communicate it by using your words. <laughs> word. yeah. You have to correct it using a behavior, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and they they can learn behaviors they can't learn words. Um, well, we are kind of like that is is, is the metaphor, and the yep. staff they comfort me. I guess the staff is for walking. But I always think of you know like if you look at the ancient peoples, the symbol of power in in Egypt. what mm-hmm. is the the pharaoh hold? It isn't a sword and a shield, right? It's a it's a flail and a crook, a thing right. for correct sheep or pulling sheep or uh, you know, making sure sheep don't get out of the way. And the, the flail is the, is the symbol of, of the grain, right? So it's, it's a very apt metaphor for the people of who are, you know, shepherds. A lot of these people are shepherds and right. it makes sense. But um, I think it's, it's, it's sort of, it's the fear of death is he's not alone. Charles is, is with oh. Mark. And when Mark dies, Uh, He had Charles there with him. And whether Charles lives on with Martha and the air pump or not, um, we don't really know. But it's left open for us to interpret, I think.
1: Yeah, because it wasn't really a story about Charles until that very last thing. Oh, I do have a note here that says that a rod is a weapon of attack for predators. Mm hmm. So the staff is the guiding, and the rod is the keep away the bad things. So.
0: Yeah, the ra- uh, that's what I meant by the wrathful, is, is that he can strike out at his enemies. Got it. So.
2: And if, you, if, if it. you look at this whole story as the story of just Mark, of Charles and Martha just being um, sides at, of Mark himself.
0: Or uh, humans in the earth, maybe.
2: Well, I think you can see it as when Mark dies, it's his better self that's left. Charles is the person he wanted Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. So his old cynical self that chose, you know, exile out on an asteroid somewhere. That's the part that died and left Charles, who's hopeful and poetic and sentimental. That's who was left behind. trusting, Right.
0: I just love that this is this is like uh, it's, uh, theoretically it's a science fiction story, right? <laughs> you look at it; it's about an asteroid miner, right? right? And it's robots, <laughs> but that's not really what it's about, is it? I mean, no. there's no mention of rocket ships. The air pump is there to to get a, give us the idea of a of a thing that's failing. You know, the Earth is failing; that the, the things cannot hold. Martha was flawed from the start uh you know, for his life. And one of the meanings of Martha, by the way, is, um, besides that, is bitter. Oh. And if, if you think of bitter as the bitter earth, it, it just wasn't suitable mm-hmm. for the bit, the bitter, I think that he brought the black tamed soil, is the word for it, tamed in the story. It's mentioned twice. The yeah. black tamed soil. It's the soil from earth that has been, you know, made for the garden. Um But the, but that, the fact that you know, Martha wasn't really fit for men. Um, it doesn't mean it's not fit for robots. You know, you could look at it as, you know, it's okay that we don't have a human space exploration as long as we have those robots out there too, right? <laughs> they're, they're perfectly suitable. You could look at it that way. But it, it, it is a so, such a metaphorical, um, symbolic story. It doesn't fit like a standard idea of what science fiction is. But this is the kind of science fiction I like most.
2: I thought actually that Martha meant woman.
0: There's a bunch of Mary
2: meant bitter. I mean, really? Well, I know Mary means bitter sorrow.
0: Yeah, and uh, Martha and Mary are are not distinct um, in their etymology. I think. Um, Yeah, so in Hebrew, the meaning of the name Martha is bitter, Um, but. Uh, that is not how we see her name because that's not what, you know, like what is Sheckley referencing, right? Yeah. Is he referencing the bitterness or is he referencing the biblical character named Martha? Right? Yeah, I
2: just
0: found, I, We could take both as our choice.
2: Yeah, I just found this other thing. I, I guess in Aramaic, Martha means lady or mistress.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, So I guess makes... it depends on the source. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think what we've seen
0: is... baby names websites because they always tell the meaning of, you know, like the various meanings and etymologies. Um, Martha comes from the root Mara, Mariam, Mar- Maria, um, and Maria. from the Mara, Marar, meaning to be bitter.
1: Yeah, and I know Mary comes from Miriam or variations of that because I was always struck by the fact that you have Mary and Jesus and you have Moses and his sister Miriam. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, right, Moses, a prefigurement from a Christian point of view of Jesus. Um, The other thing that strikes me, and, you know, again, who knows what Sheckley was thinking, but I think the exile is legit based on how Rogers comes there, Mark Rogers comes here. I agree. And it says he went to the asteroid belt looking for radioactives and rare metals. He searched for years, never finding much, hopping from fragment to fragment. After a time, he settled on a slab of rock half a mile thick. And that right. kind of, to me, thinking about the, the exodus, you know, they're going out, they're they're looking for God. They're so flawed, <laughs> they wind up having to stay out there for 40 years, uh, wandering around because of various Mm-hmm. Things that we just won't bother going into, but I just look at this and think, oh yeah, he settled for something that was so far short of what he needed. Uh, the live. slab
0: slab is also like, where do you find slabs? Right there, they're in graveyards. It is a grave. Oh, I a,
1: didn't think about that. Yeah,
0: it's it's the covering over a grave, um,
1: yeah.
0: either to keep the dead down because they might rise up like <laughs> Lazarus, right, or um, or to prevent animals from digging down into the. Into the grave.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Either case, um, the the I mean, asteroids. You've seen them. They do not look like slabs, so that's a deliberate choice. Yeah, and you know, it also makes me think of tablets. When I think of a slab, I think of a tablet. Oh, there right? you go. They're biblical sort of thing, but it, I think
1: Robert you know, Sheckley, come back and talk to us about this story.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think authors have the exclusive uh, knowledge about it, but he, he oh, might Interesting to say, like, oh, my mom was named Martha.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my dad was Charles, why?
0: Yeah. You know. <laughs>
1: but
0: it, it, just because, you know, he has one interpretation doesn't mean that that's the only one. Because we anything we can extract from it, any value we can take from it, is is there to be found for other people, too, I think. Well,
1: I believe we're rather like Mark, fucking everything out of Martha before he died. <laughs> because I think you we've know. been... There's some interesting stuff, though. Yeah, it's fun. Both you guys somehow i never would have thought of it as being just about mark but that's also legitimate
0: no i i think i think it's it's uh the the main the main thing is is the the i think you know we we really we forget that robots i mean the word robot means slave it it comes from is that uh, russian story yeah r u r a that's play it. Boston's universal robots and one one word for check uh, in Czech, uh, for worker is is robot, robor, right? And okay. is um, it, it's a also synonym for slave. Got it. So robots are slaves, but when we give them consciousness and we say, you know, like in in Galactic Podhealer, you know, you, your job is to do this and you know to go serve that man and to take his orders and you will take orders in this fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're turning of thinking living being that could choose to do something, programming it to call it a robot is to call it a slave. And we, if we look at robots, not as, Oh, gee whiz, rocket ship, laser gun sort of thing, but as symbols mm-hmm. they're for slavery. And I mean, that's in the, in the Philip K. Dick story, he brings it right up, right? The slave right. talking robot, <laughs> And then, right. He, he takes away that programming to call him a sir. Right. Yes, sir. No, sir. Mm hmm. It's their equals, their friends. And and in that case, the 1950s uh, setting does tell us a little something about it, right? The, yeah. the equality movement and such. Oh, yeah. no. We didn't even talk about El Dorado.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's bring it on.
0: Uh, How are we done? I, it's just beautiful, right? Don't you love poems? It is. Gaily bedight, that means all dressed up, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journeyed long, singing a song in search of El Dorado. But he grew old, this knight so bold, and o'er his heart a shadow fell as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. And as his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, "What, where can it be, this land of El Dorado? Over the mountains of the moon, down the valleys of the shadow, ride boldly ride, the shade replied, if you seek for El Dorado. And in the kids' book that I have for this poem, there's an illustration of, you know, a, a um, not a knight, but a, um, a conquistador, right. which is yeah. more mm-hmm. fit El Dorado reference, right? And beside him is basically what looks like death,
1: pointing uh, Yeah cuz I was thinking of uh, Don Quixote looking and I was like oh that's why okay <laughs> el dorado <laughs> also the fact that he's looking for el dorado is you know that's that quixotic thing
0: it is quixotic and notice that it may, it fits in with our story mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: Rogers goes to the stars to look for the, the equivalent of the gold right that's there right. which is ra- and and he doesn't find them He goes over the mountains of the moon. Yeah, that's what
1: I was just looking at. He could have been in the shadow of the moon, actually.
0: And what does he find there? Death.
1: Yeah.
0: But But also the striving thing that, you know, growing old in striving and looking for something uh, that is mythical in a sense. That Dorado is not a real place. It's the city of gold that doesn't really exist.
1: Well, and of course, the difference between the knight and Mark is Mark settles. He says, "Ah, oh, this is good enough. I'll yeah. stay here. And the knight, at least up to that point, keeps going. One assumes he does. And I was thinking of that, too. I was thinking of um, the fact that Mark just, he, I, I was thinking of Martha and Eve and Adam and all this stuff we've been talking about and the fact that it was not good for man to be alone. No. So when God so God says, okay, so he makes Eve, and the minute Adam sees her, he says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is the way it's supposed to be, you know. But he mm-hmm. can't say that with Charles. Charles isn't bone of his bones, and he did settle. And he says, um, you know, and they're saying friendship counts.
0: Yeah, the creation the is end. not the same, right? It's not right. the relationship it's, between God and man. It's the relationship between a human being and another sort of quasi-human being. Right, and
1: it's, and it's not what it could have been or should have been. It, but it's still, you know what, it's the best it was going to be at that point. So and the, okay.
0: And that creation takes on that miracle at the end where, you know, the robot that is programmed to say things suddenly no longer can because of its broken tape and yet does.
1: And says so something, as Rose says, outside of the story. Something
2: that's completely
1: and, new that we haven't been told about from anywhere. It,
0: and that's the next line, right? Restoreth my soul. Right, he restoreth my soul.
2: And I think it's also telling that the last tape that Mark left for him, the one to <laughs> save for after he died, was, right. I hope he finds his Martha.
0: Yeah. Right. It's a special story, I think.
2: It is. Where's my hanky? <laughs> <laughs>